welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And I think we said this last week that this is our first episode back from my maternity leave. But we lied. (laughs) (laughs) We did lie. We totally lied because, well, we didn't totally lie. We just uh, had time to record another one before. (laughs) Yes, we weren't sure we were going to get to this one, but then Zoe, like we had this lovely break because we were so on our recording schedule that Zoe was (laughs) like, well, if I get through the book, I'll let you know. And I was like, okay, well, I've read it. I'm ready to go. If you get through it, I'll get the notes done, and then we can record real (laughs) fast. That way, we've got extra time on the bookend of this. Yeah, who knows when babies actually come. So if this one comes as late as my first one, then I wouldn't have quite as many episodes like in the bank. You know what I mean? (laughs) Exactly. So the more we can put out, the better. Yes. And it's fun to record with you, Kelsey. I know. I like seeing you, too. (laughs) Uh, So I'm excited to talk about this book. And the book we are talking about today is Maiden Lane Number 5, Lord of Darkness by Elizabeth Hoyt. Yes, we are talking about it. We're back in Maiden Lane, and we get to learn about another ghost of St. Giles. Another ghost, you say? (laughs) Ghost of St. Giles. I'm going to – you know what? It was funny. I was writing my handwritten, like, short notes on this Uh as I was going to it. And then in my shorthand, I literally said a G St. G. And I was like, can we just refer to them as the G St. G from now on? (laughs) That way I don't have to continually say it throughout the entire synopsis. (laughs) Yeah, listeners, I'm not sure you know how often Kelsey says St. Giles because I think I've edited all of them out. (laughs) I just, for some reason, it's like, I know it's Giles. I I understand that. But for some <laughs> reason, I can't say it when I'm reading it. Like, I just can't. We all have our things. And uh, hopefully, listeners, you forgive us and laugh along with us. <laughs> so uh, we do have a couple, like, little author facts this week, you know. Elizabeth Hoyt's Maiden Lane series is very long, so um, obviously there's a lot to learn about a person, but today I wanted to share that on her website, there are a whole bunch of extra tidbits about Maiden Lane. There's like a section for each of her series where you can find some like extra materials, and they include for Maiden Lane a couple of extra epilogues, which is pretty cool because as we've kind of mentioned, usually the epilogue features the next book. It's more of like an intro to what's happening next Mm -hmm. than a what, you know, the extra happily ever after. And so they have, she has one for Scandalous Desires and one for Dearest Rogue, which I don't think we've read Dearest Rogue yet. No, we have not. So regardless, I did go ahead and read the one for Scandalous Desires. Um, So that is Silence and Charming Mickey's book. And it was cute. I definitely, and it's about them having their first uh, child together. Okay. And uh, if it's going to be a boy or a girl and how it gets its name. And it's very cute. So especially as someone who is pregnant and doesn't know the gender of my child, it was super quick, little fun read. Um, So I highly recommend listeners, you go check those out. That is at elizabethhoyt.com in the extras section of her website. And there's also two Christmas extras, which she has once upon a 
Maiden Lane. No, it's not Once Upon a Maiden Lane. What? Uh, oh my God, we covered it on the show. We have it. It's oh. we have it as an episode. Um, the Maiden Lane um novella. That's a. Uh, goodness gracious one of us should look it up but we're not going to it, it exists in our feed I promise listeners <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there already is a Maiden Lane like Christmas novella but these are just separate little Christmas stories and they both feature um, the couple from the next book in the series so uh-huh. yeah so kind of fun and maybe you never know maybe Kelsey and I will cover those this uh, winter as a bonus who knows maybe We'll find out. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, so that's really great. So if you want to check those out, um, it's at elizabethhoyt.com. And Hoyt is spelled H-O-Y-T. But today, we are not talking about all that. That was fun little tidbits. But today, we're talking about Lord of Darkness. And our main tropes today are marriage of convenience and age gap. It doesn't come up a lot, but it is there. Yep. 12 years definitely qualifies as an age gap. Yes, it does. <laughs> and our main characters are Godric St. John and Lady Margaret Meg's St. John. And she is Hero's sister-in-law and Griffin's sister from, I believe, our last book or two no, books ago? A couple bo- books ago. A couple books ago. No. Second book. There, there, there's the second book and we're at number there's five. the second book. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyhow. Anyway. Um, there's that story. If you want to go back to our episode number on the second Maiden Lane Maiden. book and get a refresher. Today we do have a trigger warning as well, and that trigger warning is miscarriage. So if that is a topic that you don't want to explore, uh, I will just mention that we will be past that pretty quickly in our synopsis. Yes. So speaking of our synopsis, Kelsey, shall we get into it? We shall. Margaret Meggs St. John has returned to London after two years to finally consummate her marriage of haste to Godric St. John. For his part, Godric has barely spoken to his wife in two years. They've exchanged letters, but they have not seen each other in almost the entirety of their marriage. Godric, having suffered the loss of his first wife and love of his life after a long, painful illness, never planned to marry again. Their marriage was arranged by Meg's brother, Griffin, who, upon learning that Meg's was pregnant and the father had been killed, blackmailed Godric into the match. Meg's miscarried almost immediately after the wedding and has spent the last two years at Godric's country estate. Both were happy with a separate union, but now Meg's has returned to London because she is no longer willing to be content in life. She wishes to reach for happiness and believes that having a child is the way to achieve that. Now, Godric also happens to be the ghost of St. Giles. Giles. God damn it. We just talked no, about you- this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm leaving that one in. <laughs> Godric also happens to be the ghost of St. Giles. No, Giles. Giles. <laughs> Did you not? Uh, you had it right the first time. <laughs> oh, my God. I just can't. Am I saying Giles or Giles? Giles. Giles. With a soft G. Okay. Okay. You got this. No, Godric <laughs> also happens to be the ghost of St. Giles, who is rumored to have killed Meg's former lover, Roger, in cold blood. Meg's is hoping to avenge Roger's death by killing the ghost while she's in London. Also, the Lassie Snatchers are back. 
woo, you don't know who they are, refer back to our last Maiden Lane episode. Yeah, and as we know, it's been two years since they were around. So there's actually been like a two-year time gap between the last book and this book, um, just to kind of like make that clear here. So when Meg arrives in London, she proceeds to turn Godric's life upside down. We also get to meet Mrs. Crumb, uh, her housekeeper, who will be a main character in her own book much later on. Megs is quickly upfront with Godric about her desire for a child, but he turns her down flat. He tells her it was not part of the agreement he made with her brother. Megs, who had been grieving, really didn't know the details of the arrangement that her brother made and is taken back at this revelation. That evening, Megs and Godric attend a ball where she knew she would find the Viscount d'Arc, who you will remember from our last book, was great friends with Roger and spent most of the last book hunting for the ghost. Megs is hoping to gain information from him, and in the process, Godric gets jealous seeing his wife try to get the attention of a known rake. Quote, the truth was that he'd not been unmoved by her embrace. Her kiss had been so essentially her, unplanned, reckless, without studied skill, and all the more erotic because of it. She made something deep inside of him wake and stir, as if he still lived and had hope for this life. After the ball, Meg goes to confront her brother and learns that Griffin had blackmailed Godric to get him to marry Meg's, but Griffin will not divulge the secret he used in this endeavor. After leaving her brother, Meg goes into St. Giles to the place where Roger was killed. Godric is there to confront her as the ghost. However, she pulls a pistol, but it fails to unload. Godric, whose libido was reignited earlier, kisses her when he divests her of the gun. Megs, enraged and slightly turned on, takes a small dagger from her person and manages to stab the ghost in the back, which is how she finds out the ghost is in fact her husband. I know, pretty surprising we get this out of the way so early, but we do. (laughs) Megs is instantly in help mode and rushes Godric to the carriage. Godric hears the hoofbeats of the coming dragoons who have been hunting the ghost mercilessly and arranges to have it look like they're having a tete-a-tete in the carriage to get them off the trail of the ghost. So they do arrive home safely and Godric is tended to. The following day, Godric tells Meg about his life and how he became the ghost. He lost his mother at the age of 10 and then his father remarried three years later. Godric, being a boy of that preteen angsty age, was mad at his father and felt he was replacing his mother. So instead of going home on school holidays, he went and hung out at a family friend's house, Sir Stanley Gilpin. There, Sir Stanley taught him the trade of the ghost. And this is where Megs finds out Godric is not the only ghost. He actually only took up the mantle of the ghost once his first wife, Clara, had become bedridden, and feeling frustrated with his inability to help her in any way, he used the ghost as an outlet for his frustration. Godric also takes the time to tell Megs he did not kill Roger. In fact, he was at the ball that night and is the one who caught Megs when she fainted at the news of his death. Godric does agree to help her look for more information about Roger's death, though. Megs understands all of this, but what she doesn't understand is why Godric is still the ghost if Clara has been dead for three years. Godric doesn't have an answer to this. He is, in fact, contemplating this when he is next in St. Giles. Giles. Thanks. (laughs) God, this 
This series is going to be so long if I can't figure out this word. (laughs) Uh, He is looking for information on the Lassie Snatchers. But while doing that, he also learns that rumor has it Roger was killed by a fellow aristocrat. The following day, Godric finds Megs in the garden. He tells her he is willing to consummate the marriage, but only if she agrees to leave London and her hunt for Roger's murderer once she finds out that she is successfully pregnant. He does not agree to stop any ghostly activities. Megs, desperately wanting a child, agrees to this. Since we are now planning to consummate the marriage, we get a couple encounters. Both are very businesslike, and Godric leaves the second encounter angry, and with the words, quote, Who are you making love to, my lady? For I know it's not me. In between encounters, Godric's stepmother and remaining sisters, as the eldest Sarah had accompanied Meg's, Meg's into town, join them at St. House. Mrs. St. John tells Meg's that she's had enough of giving Godric time to come to them, and she's going on the offensive. After encounter number two, Godric goes out again as the ghost, and we meet Elf, who is able to provide valuable information on the Lassie Snatchers. Elf has starring roles in a few books. Godric, after thinking over their last encounter, comes back and tells Megs that they need new rules for their time with each other. Full participation is needed. Quote, I made a promise to you, he said, and I will keep it, but not as we did before. She suddenly knew he was talking of their lovemaking the previous night. I'm, I'm sorry, she stuttered. I didn't mean to give you the impression that I was pretending you were Roger. I wasn't. It's just that what we did seemed like a betrayal of him. I didn't want to lose him anymore. Her lips parted, but nothing more emerged because it had finally dawned on her whom she'd actually been betraying. Don't you think I might have felt the same way about Clara, he asked low. Don't you think I had to sacrifice something to give you what you wanted? Oh, the beautiful honesty in their conversations. Yes. It took a little while to get there, but once they have this conversation, truly everything starts to like click into place. Mm-hmm. After this, things move on, and we are once again in St. Giles. Giles. We are once again in St. Giles. Godric and Alf execute a liberation of two of the Lassie Snatcher's workshops. However, Godric does not get away unscathed, and Megs is summoned for help in getting him home. Mrs. St. John, upon hearing Godric is injured, accompanies her, which is good because it does lead to some good moments between stepmother and son. After all, he may not be of her blood, but Mrs. St. John only ever considered him hers. Getting back home is not so uneventful because it turns out that Captain Trevilian of the Dragoons has put together that Godric is the ghost and will be waiting for him to slip up. Two weeks later, Godric has been recuperating from his injuries, but when Winter Makepeace comes by to tell him Alf has found the remaining Lassie Snatcher workshop, Godric springs into action. They free the girls and Godric knows, and Godric finally knows who's behind the Lassie Snatchers, the Earl of Kershaw who you may not remember, was part of the foursome of Diark, Roger, and Seymour, Seymour being our villain from our last book and was killed by Winter Makepeace. When Godric returns from this mission, he returns to a furious wife, who then expresses her fury in a very steamy encounter. While Godric is sleeping after their vigorous activity and also his injuries from his ghostly exploits, Megs learns that Viscount Diark has come to call. 
He speaks about Roger and with information from Megs, learns that Roger may have been propositioned about a business venture from his friend, the Earl of Kershaw. The same business venture, Dayark Dayark turned down. But if Roger wanted to marry Megs, he may not have turned it down without prior knowledge of it. After Diark leaves and Godric awakens, Megs and Godric compare notes, and it all comes back to the Earl of Kershaw. But how do they prove it? And how can they ever hold an Earl accountable? In the meantime, they have a real talk about embracing their growing feelings towards one another and having it not be a betrayal to their lost loved ones. A short time later, Megs realizes she's pregnant. She is initially thrilled and excited, but then is worried if she tells Godric that he'll send her away right now which was their deal. However, as much as she wants to confront Roger's killer, she also realizes she doesn't want to leave Godric. Later at the Spring Gardens, Godric and Mrs. St. John have a heart-to-heart and reconciliation, and there is also a confrontation with the Earl of Kershaw. Megs tells him she knows he killed Roger, and he, instead of dismissing her accusations, throws down the gauntlet and tells her to prove it. Furious with the man, Megs is venting and lets it slip that she is pregnant, but asks Godric not to send her away yet. Godric agrees she cannot leave London yet. And we have another encounter. That evening, Godric goes to confront the Earl of Kershaw and follows him to St. Giles. 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 Oh, yay, I'm doing it right. right. Now I'm just so worried I'm saying it wrong that I'm pausing. (laughs) (laughs) And follows him to St. Giles. Damn it. St. Giles. St. Giles, St. Giles, St. Giles. Mm -hmm. There he sees that Kershaw has Alf. So Godric jumps into action. He is about to run Kershaw through with his sword when they are surrounded by Trevelyan and the Dragoons. Kershaw makes a move for Alf when she tells them Kershaw has been kidnapping girls and Godric kills him before he can harm Alf. Trevelyan tells the dragoons to arrest Kershaw's people and leave him, the ghost, personally. Once they are away from the group, Trevelyan tells Godric to run, so he does. Luckily, Megs awoke after their encounter and, finding him gone, set out with a set of street clothes and the carriage. She picks him up and finally tells him how much she loves him. He tells her that Kershaw is dead and he not only loves her, but is ready to give up the ghost. Quote, I love you, Godric St. John, and now I'm breaking my word. I will not leave you. You may either come with me to Laurelwood, or I'll stay here with you in your musty old house in London and drive you mad with all my talking and relatives and exotic sexual positions until you break down and love me back, for I'm warning you that I'm not giving up until you love me and we're a happy family with dozens of children. Much as I'd like you to convince me to fall in love with you by the use of exotic sexual positions, you don't need to. I've loved you, Maggie Mine, since you sent that second letter. Four weeks later, they are in the garden, excited about their new addition and also admiring the tree everyone said was dead, but thanks to Meg's patience and care, is now full of life. You know, because it's just a little foreshadowing metaphor from our author throughout the entire book. <laughs> yes, it is. And of course, our epilogue we will not get into. But I will titillate you with the fact that it is about our mysterious third ghost. Yes, very exciting. It was really hard for me to not just start reading that one right away after this one. This is like, this is where the series has so much momentum. This is where you start to steamroll through these books. You're just like, boom, 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 boom. Because now you're like invested. This is where I started to steamroll through them all. 
Yes, of course, I want to know much more about the heroine of the next book, too. Oh, my gosh. Anyhow, lots to discuss. But first, shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. Today, we would like to thank our newest patron as of this recording. So that's as of July. Yay! (laughs) Hopefully, when we start recording new episodes again in October, uh, in the fall, we will have more patrons to announce, uh, and you can be one of them. But our newest patron is Marissa Atkinson. So Marissa, thank you so much for joining us on Patreon. And if you'd like to join Marissa and our other patrons, you can check out all our available tiers on patreon.com slash T as in Tom, N as in Nancy, strumpets. Our Patreon tiers range from 3 to $10 a month, and each tier comes with bonus content, swag, and opportunities to be more involved with the podcast. So we hope you'll take a look. With your support, we're hoping that in the future we can hire an editor. This will free up time for us to hopefully record more too. Yay! Fun and exciting yeah. things. Yeah, that's like, we haven't even set a goal for that yet. But you know, that's definitely something we've been bouncing around like, gosh, if we could have somebody edit the podcast, we could probably do more episodes and just free up some time. And that would be that would allow us to focus on the parts that are like even more rewarding the reading and the the talking. (laughs) I love editing. But it's time consuming. And now I have two kids. (laughs) And so, you know, I think that that would be a really great use of our patrons support. I think so as well. And as always, this podcast is and always will be free. But if you're in a position to show your support in a monetary fashion, we would be so, so grateful. So we do hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon. And once again, the link to check that out is patreon.com slash T's and Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets. And as always, there is a handy link in the show notes for you. And if you're not in the place to support us monetarily, there are tons of other ways to support us. Of course, subscribing and listening to the show is the number one way to show your support. So thank you for listening. And if you'd like to do more, we always appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever else you can review us. And it's been a while since we've had some new reviews. So we're kind of putting out the call. We'd love to hear from you guys on Apple Podcasts or Facebook. Let us know what you think of the show hit that five star, leave us a few sentences so you can let other listeners know what you really love about listening to Tea and Strumpets. And finally, if you just want to support us on social media, you can. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Tea and Tom and is a Nancy Strumpets, Facebook slash Tea and Strumpets, and YouTube by searching our name. All right. So this book, as we were saying before we started recording, was a little shorter and a little bit more straightforward than some of our Maiden Lane books. Yes. But God, I loved how the honesty just kept making the plot just roll along at a nice, easy clip. Yeah, no, I feel like this book is really successful because of that. Like, I think that, you know, Winter's book is like kind of intense and like the the plot you know, is, is really big. Um, I, I think we talked about it. It's been a little while. I think we said like, we still liked all of that, but there was just, 
like I wouldn't have edited any of it down necessarily, mm-hmm. but um, but this one just felt like really like smart as far as the plot and the I character think, development. Yeah, and I think this book, the plot for this book was really helped be set up by mm-hmm. the last book. Like I would mm-hmm. really say these books really go hand in hand because, mm-hmm. you know, our villains are essentially of the same group, you know, from the fourth to the fifth book. We have a lot of the same characters. And also too, Meg's story starts in the last book, you know, all those little parts that I left out were Meg's perspective, you know, her falling in love, her finding out he's died, her finding out she's pregnant. And the epilogue is Griffin approaching Godric. So, you know, those books really go hand in hand. But I love this storyline in essence, too, only because even though there's the age difference, and this is where that age gap really wasn't a huge trope. However, it was in some ways because they both lost, tragically, someone they loved. For Godric, it was through a long, lingering illness of his first wife. He basically only had a year with her as his wife before her illness became too painful and she became too weak and was essentially bedridden for like the next what was it like seven or decade? Like yeah, it was almost, nine years. Yeah, it was nine years, almost a decade. So, <sighs> you know, he was dealing with that, and being the ghost helped him get through that. And Meg's, for her part, even though she's so young, she did suffer the loss of someone tragically and suddenly. And you know, she really did feel like. You know, she was happy at first having this marriage of convenience where no one saw each other. You know, she reached out to him via letters, you know, and they'd had a good correspondence. And I don't know if they had a good well, correspondence. Well, it wasn't a good she correspondence. Cor- she she sent him a lot of letters. He really liked her letters. And then yes. he sent her terse replies. But yes. <laughs> so, you know, but they really do open up and are honest. Like, you know, one of the things that I think this book could have fallen, one of the traps it could have fallen into would be like misunderstandings, Mm -hmm. secrets being withheld, and that making it frustrating for us as the reader because it's like, just tell her already. But here it's like, almost immediately, she finds out he's the ghost. It's so, and it's so good when she stabs him and realizes it's him. It's Oh, it's like, like an instant change. She doesn't want to kill him scene. anymore. She's like, oh, my God, Godric, what are you doing? Yeah. And and I mean, like, then he he feels the need to even remind her, it wasn't me who killed Roger. I was there with you. Like, yeah. obvious, like, like, I have the strongest alibi, but also, like, none of the like, others it, he, did He either. wants her to know, like, I don't want you to think even for a second it was me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that. And... I mean, he's he does kill plenty of other people. Yeah. He does not have the same, um, you know, issues with killing that Winter did. But, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that Megs and Godric, like, I think it's a really interesting story. They're both brokenhearted in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both grieving loss in their own way. And, um, you know, Meg is younger. Her loss was faster. You know, it literally didn't, it wasn't that lingering loss Mm -hmm. that Godric had to endure, which slowly took away parts of him over time. Meg's was able to grieve and, you know, 
I don't know, maybe, you know, she didn't have the the weight of that loss hanging over her for so many years that she had to shed, right? It mm-hmm. takes Godric longer to kind of come around and to see these things and to be ready to make changes in his life, which makes total sense. You know, and Meg's also lost a baby. Like that's a she, – she lost – Doubly, right? Yes. So she lost the love of her life at the time. And um, then she lost the baby, which was her only connection to that love. And that was, I think, even harder for her. That's what made like everything just because I think she was planning on, okay, well, at least I have this baby to go on for. Yeah. And, and then she doesn't. However, I don't want to linger too much on that. Um, Yeah, I think it was great. And I think you mentioned something else with the plot, too, how, like, we learned a lot about Meg's uh, in the previous book, in all of the pieces of the plot. I think this book also uh, was a little bit more uh, succinct because the person who we're learning about in the side plot in this book is a little more mysterious. So we don't get to learn quite as much about her, but we just, we get to know just enough mm-hmm. um, that it's so like tantalizing. Like I just want to know more about what's going on with yeah. um, Artemis and the epilogue is like so good. And then I remembered, cause I, re- I remember her book. I remember what the thing that she's trying to pawn, I remember whose it is. And I'm just very excited to read the next book. So uh, yeah, I, I I thought this book was interesting. I, my complaint with this book is that the first two sex scenes are extremely uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's, I think that we could have had that be one explanation scene and mm-hmm. one kind of fade to black scene or like, you know, he stops it short and is like, I can't do this. You know, yeah, it was really hard because like, I mean, they were detailed encounters. They and, were very detailed. And the and whole very encounter is like, you know, and it's not that Meg's is against his attention. She's just like, she basically is like, I want to feel no pleasure from this. Yeah, she she feels it's a betrayal to Roger's memory, and the only way that she can have sex and have a baby is to not enjoy it. But she is a young, healthy, natural creature who is actually sort of attracted to her husband. So, yeah. like, uh, who's try and and her husband is trying to make it a good time for her. Yeah. So, like. Uh, yeah, it was just very awkward. And I wasn't like, I I didn't remember that from this book. And so like, I was like, am I going to like this book? Like, I felt like I wasn't going to like this mm-hmm. book after those two, two encounters. And oh boy. Well, that's the thing when, is, I will say the three encounters after that. Right? Much steamier and hotter. Full participation. We get yeah. some fun in there. We get some, like, Megs being daring and taking charge. Well, and they had a conversation about it. That was the thing. Oh, it's yeah. like, Godric, we have – you have – much of the quote in in here where he starts to say and he's basically set up the room to like be romantic and he's like we are not going to like we're, it's going to be you and me and we're going to both participate or this can't continue because that's just like it he is he's so right like this is that's not a way to have a relationship or to have sex with anybody and she lets go and like they're open and honest, and it's great from there on. I cannot believe the turnaround as a reader for me that I went from because mm-hmm. 
I still remember how awkward those two first scenes made me feel. Yeah. But then I still came away from this book. Like, by the time I get to the end of this book, I'm in love with Godric and Meg's and their relationship. Mm -hmm. But then when I reminisce back on the book, I still remember those awkward times. And they they were pretty rough. But I think... You know, I mean, I guess that's good writing, right? Like, mm-hmm. she really made it stick. She really made it impactful that, like... Well, and I think that, you know, if we'd made those... In- I think having those encounters be less awkward would make it feel like, you know, having that conversation might have been redundant or unnecessary or, like... Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it may have been, like, it's just so easy to write it where they're, like, now we're just so... I think what I really liked this was she made sure that they both had those tough conversations with each other instead of just being like, and now everything is fine. Or like Meg's decides mid-encounter that screw it, I'm going to enjoy this, you know, Mm -hmm. and that changes the dynamic. I think it's, it's more powerful to see their relationship blossom and form after they basically are like, we need to stop here. We need to acknowledge our our combined losses mm-hmm. and how this is tough for both of us. But yeah. this is the situation we're in. And it's also not fair to us as living creatures to, you know, hold each other, hold ourselves back from what could be. Yes, absolutely. No, I agree. I, I think that I think that ultimately the arc is what was needed. Um, and sometimes it's okay to feel uncomfortable about things mm-hmm. that you read. Yeah. But let's talk about our hero and heroine, though. I mean, our Megs and Godric. How do we feel about them as main characters? I think they're both solid. Like, I feel kind of actually, like, even-keeled about both of them. Like, I, they both are the same rating to me. Um, I don't know if you feel a little differently, but um, I really like Godric. I like him dark and broody, but obviously, like, he's a romantic underneath mm-hmm. it. And you know, you know, because he loved his first wife and, like, he's still, like, avenging her death or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he, he's not actually avenging her death, but he's just, like, you know, acting like um, – a vigilante to, you know, express his feelings about her death. So, um, and, you know, the way that he kind of comes around to Megs is beautiful and wonderful. And, and I like that. And then there's Megs and she's just like, she's kind of effervescent. Like she, and she is such a happy, sweet, caring person, right? Mm -hmm. Who just like really, you know, she, she kind of takes anybody and everybody under her wing when she arrives it's with like her aunt who has made the rounds to her entire family and no one wants her so she won't give up her aunt and her aunt's you know irritating dog and um and the boot black and the you the know gardener. the gardener and the boot black because the boot black is the gardener's nephew and they couldn't leave him behind you know so it's just like you know all of these things uh the gardener no one else wanted to hire like she's just kind of a wonderful person, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel really good about her. That being said, as great as I felt like they were, I did not particularly identify with them like more than anything else. So both of them to me are a 7.5. Okay. Fair enough. I would say based on how I do this, I'm going to rate them both an eight only because like we talked about, like I think their characters so perfectly fit the storyline 
of this mm-hmm. book. I think that they so perfectly worked together. I think that they both complimented each other. You know, she like she had, she had this effervescence about her and it kind of made him his life kind of spark back. You know, even mm-hmm. just in the reading of his letters like at the beginning she comes back and he's like reading her letters that she wrote to him because he's kept them all because like there's just something lively and silly about them, you know, because she just like offhand say things and be like, oh, you know, do you like the roof is leaking? I feel bad, but can we get some money over here? And he's like, yeah, sure. Go right ahead. You know, but he's like, I think again, like he was already softening towards her before she actually came into the house. And then once being in her presence and you talking things out with her, I think that it really, you know, kept along with it. But again, I just felt their characters really felt true to their personalities. And I felt that there was no hampering of the plot because of their characters, which is why I'll give them an eight, because I also just liked them in general. Like, I just think they're good people. Yes, totally fair. I mean, I I think... I think you um, associated with them a little bit more strongly than me, and that's why your rating gets to be a little higher than mine. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's but these great. are arbitrary ratings. It's great, <laughs> so great. Well, do you have a favorite quote from this book? Let me see. I have one yes. that um, is just like a little piece of writing that I enjoyed, um, which is actually from our side character story. There's a lot of great quotes in this one, um, but I'm just going to share this lighthearted one, which this is um, Artemis, who is the companion to Lady Penelope, who, as we know from the last book, was is kind of an airhead. She's a member of the Lady Syndicate, but she has a lot of money, and she tried to replace Winter, make peace but did not succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, Artemis sighed, albeit fondly. If she'd thought Penelope was feather-headed before, it was nothing to what her cousin was like when she was determined to marry a duke. There were angled invitations, plotted chance meetings, and the near-constant jealousy over Miss Royal, who, Artemis suspected, didn't even know she was engaged in a fierce rivalry with Penelope. <laughs> I just appreciated that. It made me giggle that when I was reading it. It's so great. Yeah, because Penelope's always in a fierce rivalry with anyone. Yeah, and and I believe Miss Royal has a um uh, a novella somewhere in the series. And yeah, she definitely has no like she has no designs on this duke, nor does she have any idea that she's in a rivalry with Penelope. Okay. Ah. So here's one. Um there were a lot of just really funny moments um in this book that I thought were just like fun and clever things. Um that I just didn't highlight because they're just funny quips of writing. But I did highlight this one. And this is af- this is like on his way out to confront the Earl. So this is Godric. Um, he huffed out a breath, nearly but not quite a laugh. Godric St. John, Lord of Darkness. He looked down at her as he eased from the bed. Why such a creature of light and love and life should have come to him, he could not fathom. But he was grateful. Yes. I have another sweet one that maybe we can close on uh, as well because uh, yours inspired me to remember this one. Mm -hmm. This is the love declaration. Oh, yes. Um, And um, and Megs is is saying this at this point. Um, She says, I love that you made love to me when I asked you purely for politeness's sake. And I love that you got mad at me later and made me make love to you. 
I love that you've spent years selflessly saving people in St. Giles, although I want you to stop right now. I love that you killed a man for me, even if I'm still mad at you about it. Anyhow, um, it keeps going and there's other things that she admits her love for, but I just really loved that. Even though I want you to stop right now. Yeah, no, I love it because... I get you. Yeah. I mean, I will say this too. Like, again, I can't harp on it enough. It's just like, God, the honesty. But you know me. Like, any plot line where they're just honest with each other up front as I'm like, yes, see, we can have a successful romance novel without misunderstanding tropes because guess what? Not all of us enjoy those. We don't like being frustrated as we're reading a book. (laughs) No, thank you. All right. So... Steaminess rating. This is an interesting one for me because of the up and down. I feel like the beginning of the book is like frigid. Like yeah. it's su- like it's off-putting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, it's like really bitter cold tea that you just like have there because you need the caffeine. Yeah. But then you get that dollop of milk and you stick it in the microwave and bam, it's delicious again. <laughs> yes. Uh, the last three are real hot and there are five encounters. Yeah. So if you take out the other two, it's still a fairly heavy encounter book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our feminist recap, I think there's some, I think this one's a supporter. I think that Meg's is, you know, a, just generally a person that likes to lift others up, etc. Um, you know, I think. I think actually that the the two encounters that they have, you know, and then they go on to talk about it and everything we've already said about all that. Like, I think that actually like speaks to sex positivity and feminism Mm -hmm. a little bit too. Um, Just because they made me uncomfortable doesn't mean it wasn't good for me to read about it. Yeah. I think too, it's a supporter in a sense too, because Godric never belittles her or tells her not to do something like he starts to. He's like, well, you can't do that because you're a woman. He's like, he's like, well, I can do that because I'm a man. And she's like, yeah, and I'm a woman. So Mm -hmm. we're still going to make that happen. Like there's a cute line about that one. There's a there's a line I did want to share that made me think of, you know, feminism when I read it. And um, this is after he sees her with Diark the first time at the ball. And she <laughs> – I never meant, he began. You convict me without trial, she hissed over him, and on pathetically thin evidence. You were flirting, madam. And if I was, she asked, her eyes widening dramatically, if every woman who flirted in a ballroom were deemed a slut, then all but nuns and babes would be thus branded. Do you truly think I meant to start an affair with the Viscount? Like, yeah. go Meg. Yes. I no, I love, love it. Because it. it's like, <laughs> but again, like, and, you know, even when she, you know, tells him that she needs to see, like, Roger's murder, like, either avenged or solved. You know, it was avenged, and then she finds that he's the ghost. But so then it's so then it's like, so then it's really who killed Roger. Like, now she just needs to know who killed him, you know? And it's just mm-hmm. something that she needs to know. And, you know, again, he understands that because, like, while his loss was tragic and terrible, like, he was aware of it. Like, mm-hmm. it was, you know the sort of Damocles over his head, but he was aware that it was there versus she had no awareness. You know, she, every, his life, her lover's life was just snuffed out one evening, you know, and changed the course of her life. So he understands that 
need for closure in that sense. And he doesn't try to dismiss her need for closure. And then even at the end, instead of having a huge argument about her needing to leave because she's pregnant and him being worried about her, he's like, he immediately is like, of course you have to stay. Yeah. Of course you don't. Of course you can't leave right now. I was so thankful. I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're at our final book rating. I feel the same about this book as I feel about the characters. I feel this book is somewhere between good and great. I love this book that I love that this book is like really succinct in its plot and its characters. Mm-hmm. I think like it's it's a good book. I really enjoyed reading it. It really hit the spot. So I'm going to give it a 7.5. Perfect. I'm going to give it a little bit higher. I'm going to give it an 8. And I was even leaning towards an 8.5 only because this book not only is good of itself, but it also, I think, changes the course of the series for a reader. I think, Mm. you know, one of the struggles I had, especially at the beginning of the series, was like, you know, the first three books were a slog. And like Winter's book was much better. But then once I rolled into this one, I was like... Where are the rest of them? Let me add them. Yep. And I, honestly, the pace never changed after that. Like, I agree. So, like, for me, that's why it rains highly, not just because of its own value, but because of what I think it brings to the series as a whole. And the main character is named Godric. I know. I mean, such how a great... often do you get that? I know, right? Yeah, I knew a horse named Godric. Did you know Godric? I can't remember no, if you were there when Godric was there. No, Godric. Okay, well, uh, I knew a horse named Godric, and his nickname was Godge, which is weird, but, like, so charming. And, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, uh, so, uh-huh. you know, Godric Gryffindor. <laughs> um, and you have her brother-in-law, Griffin. Anyhow, the point is – or her brother, not brother-in-law. The point is, what are we reading next time? Next time, we're going to be joined by Laura from What to Read Next, and we're going to be talking all about Halloween books. And so we're going to give you not only some great Regency historical Halloween books, but she's also going to give you some of her favorite recommendations. And she has a podcast all about book recommendations, so you know they're going to be good. Very fun. And when you say we, I mean me and Laura, because Zoe wasn't there, because Zoe was having a baby, and I told her she could just not worry about it. (laughs) Yes. So this is going to be really fun, listeners. Uh, Kelsey and Laura are going to be taking over and talking to you all about Halloween-themed reads next week, and I really hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and join us next week for our Halloween list. And may all your ever-afters end happily. Happily.